if you use a situation or an action as the only example of what makes a person a person, then you're going to be left with, well, that's all they are, right? Like that's they they are they've done a bad thing, and clearly they are bad. What's interesting is I would say that we have a, a bit of a, an opposite kind of thought if we put this into the criminal justice mindset. If you put people on the right into thinking like, all right, if this were criminal justice, how would we look at it? They are not redemption people, right? They are very much like you. You screwed up. You served thirty years. Yep, put them away. But if you talk about with people on the left, then they talk about how the punishment should fit the crime and that people are redeemable and that we need to give them other chances and so on and so forth. And so I think that there's been a reversal in a lot of ways. Welcome to Politicology. I'm Ron Steslow. Over the last few years, few terms have been tossed around as much as cancel culture. And for a while now, I've wanted to dig into what it means when someone is canceled how we think about holding public figures accountable when they've done wrong, what it means to right those wrongs, and the dangerous problem presented by the fact that we do not have a public mechanism for redemption. And here to dive into all of this with me today is Katie Hill. Katie is a former congresswoman who represented California's 25th congressional district. She's also the founder of Her Time, a political action committee which provides financial support and mentorship to women running for office. And she's the host of the Naked Politics podcast. And in 2018, Katie defeated Republican Steve Knight in her congressional race, flipping a seat that had been held by Republicans since 1993. Katie, I'm so glad you're here today. Uh, I'm really excited for this conversation and welcome to Politicology. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk about cancel culture. I'm using lots of air quotes here. Cancel culture, revenge porn, accountability, redemption. But first, for anyone who isn't really familiar with your story, which is pretty unique in the landscape of examples of all of these things, why don't you begin by briefly summarizing how it came to be that this is the conversation we're about to have? Yeah, I've become sort of a an, a known figure in the world of cancel culture that I never intended to be. Um, I was so you know to to start off, I was never planning on becoming a politician in the first place. I think that that's an important context yeah. to set. And I like you know many young people were uh, were compelled to run for office because of Donald Trump's victory in 2016, um, and the 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 really strong need that I felt to flip the house and and to be part of um, you know putting a check on him, really, and and saving the things that I thought were so important to what I'd worked on previously, which was the issue of homelessness and everything like that. So going into this, you know, I think you think about politicians as people who are, you know, the, they shouldn't have much of a past, right? They shouldn't right. have had, you know, if you want to run for politics, then you should know what's in your background. You should you should be aware of that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, pl- you, you got to know that everything's going to come out and you should, you know, whatever. But the, the reality is that we're not talking about people, including, you know, myself included, but people who are trying to run now or who who have something to add to the the public discourse and to representation in general, um, who have that background necessarily. And and do we want that anyway? Yeah. So, you know, I knew that there were risks when I ran, but I, you know, and I, I had a, a very uh, nice way of putting it is a not good relationship with my, um, with my ex-husband. And I, um, and it got worse over the course of the campaign. So ultimately, I was elected to Congress. I got into these really high-profile roles, 
Um, I was elected the leader, or the, the member of the freshman class who was elected to leadership on behalf of the freshman class. And so I was, um, it was like a, just skyrocketed yeah. to the the front of the political discussion yeah. and uh, was seen as, you know, age 30, 31 as this like leading figure. You were a star of the Democratic Party. Thank you, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I guess the, you know, that made it all that much, all that more easy for it to come kind of tumbling down. So um, basically, even though I knew the risks of possibly what could happen when I when I left, I decided I had to leave my husband. And I did that in June. Um, I did not think that I had a choice. And so I did that in June two years ago. So we're coming up on the like mm. two-year kind of anniversary, which is just impossible to believe. But, yeah. um, but when I did that, I, you know, he had threatened me previously that if I left, there would be you know, he would, there would be consequences. And, um, and I kind of was waiting for that, like what that was going to mean and hoping it wasn't something terrible. But ultimately a few months later in um, October, it it turned out to be that pictures, naked pictures of me that showed that I had had a relationship with somebody who um, had worked on my campaign uh, while I was running was, um, you know, I was in my 20s and she was also in her 20s. So for important context, that's like not, we're not talking about, you know, an intern teenager yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> than when I was 50 years old. There's, that's not yeah. the the context. But um, but it, it showed that and it was uh, it was used by the right wing media to to run like a full on attack on me. And um, and ultimately, because there were there were naked pictures, it was such a it, I, ha- I experienced the effects of that so many people who are victims of revenge porn or cyber um, exploitation of any kind, Im- you know, intimate image abuse, there's lots of terms for it, um, which is that you just feel completely powerless. And like the like the most important thing for you is figuring out how the fuck to get out of that situation. Yeah. And, um, and so I felt at that time that my only real option was to resign to make it stop. So I did. And, but I, I was not willing to kind of accept Def, you know, that is the final answer of like, I'm, I'm resigning and then just going away. Um, I felt like there was a lot of fight that needed to happen. And um, I think because of all of that, like there were mixed interpretations, right? Many people felt that I was, I was a victim in my, you know, in the, in the way that I was treated by the, especially the right-wing media um, in the double standards of why, you know, I was forced to resign when we've seen so much worse yeah. behavior from men. Um, and, and I think, all of that um, led to people really having mixed feelings on whether I should have resigned in the first place, um, whether I was, an, you know, actually uh, still an example of someone that we want in the Democratic Party. Um, and so that's why I'm kind of in the middle of this discussion about cancel culture. Was yeah. I canceled? Was I not canceled? Yeah. Have I been redeemed? Have I yeah. not been redeemed? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, so there's there's so much to unpack it. And we should also probably let people know um, we're having this conversation right on the heels of some news that just broke um, within the last couple of days, which is, uh, uh, from what I understand, the, um, the 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 outcome of the of the lawsuit that was pending, that the judge has now ruled that you have to pay the publishers who um, who posted all of the images of you on the internet. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the, you wanna... yeah, that was real, real delightful. Um, basically I, with 
lots of encouragement. Um, and because I felt like the example that was being set by me to, you know, to basically young, especially young women, but lots of people yeah. that if you, you know, if you decide to run for office, you're opening yourself up to this kind of abuse. Yeah. Like you just have to take it. I felt like that wasn't an acceptable answer. So I sued the Daily Mail and Red State and, um, and the two people, the two right-wing political operatives that were involved in it that claimed to do it under the cover of journalism, which it was not. But, um, but anyway, so I, I sued them. The judge, because anti- California has what's called anti-slap laws, which is meant to protect the First Amendment, meant to basically dismiss, um, you know, frivolous lawsuits that would chill the First Amendment. And, uh, you know, they're, they're important protections to have, right? Like, you don't want somebody like Donald Trump suing every time that somebody says yeah. something bad about him. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's, it, the idea is to get the lawsuits thrown out at the earliest possible stage. Problem is— in my case, that law, that anti-slap provision, sh- what the argument that we're making should not apply. Anti-slap should not apply to a, a criminally, um, you know, something that is actually a crime, which is this revenge porn, the cyber exploitation. It's a crime in California, and the anti-slap laws should not be relevant to that. You should give it the jury a chance to decide whether what was done was actually revenge porn or not. Um, the judge did not do that, so instead, the judge dismissed my suit at, on anti-slap basis. And as part of that, awarded because this is a thing in anti-slap suits, uh, they they awarded me or they they ordered me to pay the fees of mm. the defendants. Mm. So not only did I lose on these grounds, which isn't losing a lawsuit; it's getting your lawsuit dismissed by a single person, a judge. It's not a jury. Um, I have I am supposed to pay almost a quarter million dollars in legal fees towards them. Now, to be clear. I'm not paying those, and I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to be appealing. And it, and it, I never expected to get money out of this. This was yeah. never the point. Yeah, right. But now, if I leave this lawsuit as it stands, yeah. next the next person who runs for office and has a situation like this, they're in worse shape than even I was. They have fewer. Now. Yes, there's precedent that this is fine. Yeah. So imagine, you know, a— Somebody runs in a in a and this can be a man or a woman it really yeah, can yeah but it ninety percent of victims of revenge porn or cyber exploitation are women um, and it's a it, and pretty much all the rest happen to be usually people that are gay so yeah. um, I think that there's a there's a real disparity like we're yeah. not talking about dude you know straight white men that get that become victims of this because probably honestly part of it is just they don't care but yeah. um, but I think that you know so. So let's just say there's a young woman who decides to run in the seat even that I gave up or in any competitive seat. Yeah. We know that those are targeted seats by the Republicans that all rules are off, yeah. right? Yeah. And if she has some kind of embarrassing photo or if even if she doesn't even know that they exist, in my case, I didn't know that the photos were there. I yeah. didn't know that, especially the naked ones yeah. existed. Um, because that, they because they were taken without your consent. Yep. These weren't— Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so, an, so an oppo firm— could go to the exes of opposition this woman. research uh, yep. for you uh, non politicals right an opposition <laughs> research firm could go to the uh, the you know the exes and people who knew this 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 woman when she was younger and you know whatever mm-hmm. and say hey we'll pay you to get these photos and then they can leak them which is what opposition research firms do they leak them to the press and yeah. um, and that's exactly I mean that's basically exactly what happened in yeah. my case and um, you know I don't know what money exchange hands because we weren't even able to open discovery um, oh. in the lawsuits. So there's, you know, there's basically that's the, the, the judge signed off saying that that's fine, that an opposition <sighs> research, it's 
fine if they go and dig up this information and then put it into the the media to publish it. And I can't let this lawsuit drop as it is. Um, or, or, you know, mine was just the beginning. Yeah. Okay. So let's, we're going to dig into all of that because there's so much to unpack here, but the term, let's start with the term cancel culture. Um, cause it's been tossed around a lot over the last few years, but how do you define the term cancel culture? Do we have a common understanding of what that means in our society? I would argue that no, we don't at all have a common understanding of what that means. And I think that there's a, there's the, the fact that we don't yeah. has allowed, uh, bad faith actors to really capitalize on that term and to use it. Um, as this kind of boogeyman that is uh, that is perpetuated by the left, and so they're saying that the the left is trying to cancel everything that we mm-hmm. that you know mm-hmm. we love, like Dr. That's, Seuss. Right? That's the, the, those are the cries from the right. Right. Yes. Right. And yeah. so, but but it's been an it's been a pretty effective boogeyman because mm-hmm. people see things like someone makes someone has someone resurfaces old posts or whatever that. Mm-hmm. Use racist terms or mm-hmm. um, or something else that's embarrassing, um, and it leads to people losing their jobs. It leads to people, you know, being the the victims of this massive public shaming. It can lead to doxing and yeah. to, um, you know, all, all kinds of of consequences, real world consequences for an online incident, yeah. right, or to something that gets posted yeah. online. Um, and so, and those consequences tend to be total, which right. is why it's such an effective and devastating phenomenon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think that that's 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 the fear. That's the fear that people that people, especially on the right, are are capitalizing on right now. And um, but on the, you know, other people say, and I think have a really valid point that this isn't. It's not a thing called cancel culture. It's mm. really about consequences, and mm. that we have new means of you know, forcing people to take accountability for their actions. And we've tried to change the norms of what's acceptable, um, you know, in terms of of how we talk about race or about women or or anything like that. And marginalized communities are growing in terms of their representation and their power and their voices. And, uh, and with that comes an ability to call people out and to say, this isn't acceptable, this isn't mm-hmm. normal. And, um, you know, we, we're not going to stand for that anymore. And that, the forum to do that happens to be Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> so, yeah. so I, you know, I think that it's this, it is this cultural kind of phenomena that we, that we, we, but it's not new at all, right? right? It's not new at all, but that we want to jump on yeah. and do this group shaming. We've had different ways that we've wanted to do group shaming. I mean, that came That's in true. a million different forms over time. Um, and this is this is the latest one. This is the one where people, it's the easiest for people to jump in on it. There's yeah. this groupthink mentality. There's like, oh my God, that was so, it turns yeah. everything into black and white thinking. Yeah. Um, you don't know the whole person. You don't care. Like it doesn't you don't matter, need to. right? You don't you need don't to. You don't need to. You're not asked to. No. And so, you know, I I, I really do see kind of both sides of yeah. the equation where like if someone, someone's been getting away with acting in a certain way yeah. for forever, for their whole lifetime in many cases, because there's never been a, you know, a, an instance that could be shown to the public, right? Like their bosses don't know that they're these racist assholes because they just do it, you know, yeah. a, away from their bosses. Um, but now, you know, there's a way of actually showing yeah. that and we don't want, you know, white supremacists to have a uh, yeah. place in, in normal society. So labeling blowback and consequences as cancel culture in a way sort of provides cover 
um, when people have actually done something wrong and don't want to apologize or or accept responsibility for those actions. But it also has, you know, we just talked about the other side of that coin. There's a lot of noise around cancel culture coming from elected Republicans. Mm -hmm. We just talked about Dr. Seuss, who decry it as, you know, an attack on free speech. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've also seen Republicans remove Liz Cheney from leadership for saying that Joe Biden won a free and fair election. Right. Uh, So, so like, to what extent is this a partisan phenomenon? And, and, you know, I see a lot of hypocrisy coming from the right when it comes to decrying what they call cancel culture as they're participating in the same phenomenon. And, you know, just as a side note, it'd be really interesting to look at this through, you know, like a cultural psychology lens to find out, to, to really understand that it's almost the human roots of this propulsion. Right. Um, but what do you make of it on a, at a partisan level? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that there's really not a a difference in terms of how uh, the phenomenon is applied or who participates in it. I think that the right has just just taken the term and run with it. They just and, weaponized and, it yeah, more exactly. effectively, and they've they've made it like, oh, we don't do this. We're yeah. protecting you, or we're trying to protect you, mm. and speak out for all those who are un- unjustly canceled by the left, right? Yeah. But they don't. They don't care. They know. They know. Just like with every yeah. other thing that they yeah. do, they know exactly yeah. oh, what they're yeah. doing. Yeah. And um, you know, so the, the, well, the elite figures do. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not everybody knows, <laughs> but a lot of people, you know, yeah. they're aware of it. And you know, you could use you could use the term cancel culture. You could say that Liz Cheney would can, was canceled. You could yeah. say that you know Matt Gates was was canceled by the left, but yeah. Liz Cheney was canceled by the right. Like it doesn't. Yeah. The the term can be applied. However, it's just that the I think that the right has decided to apply that term selectively. And, um, you know, acted like Coke is somehow canceling Georgia by, like, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, they just have yeah, co-opted the term that's right. yeah. rather than they're trying to ask people to cancel Coke, yeah. you know? So. Yeah. So, this ter- like, this term is actually really problematic just as a, as a you know, as a piece of language because it, because it means so many different things. We don't have a common understanding. And it really just has become a weapon yeah. um, for and, removing, yeah. Oh, well, and I was going to say, a, a recent survey showed that it was close to 70% of people in yeah. the U.S. that were polled said that they think that cancel culture is a growing threat to mm. our liberties in society. So that's a huge wow. number. And that means that it's, you know— it, That it, also means a lot of Democrats said yes. Yes, exactly. And, you know, you see people you see people all the time who say that cancel culture is a problem, even on the yeah. left. And yeah. and I don't—you know, I, th- I think that, that a lot of the people who are saying that— yeah. Ha- Probably because we all do have something that they don't want to. That's right. <laughs> to be yeah. For. <laughs> yeah. You raised something that I want to get to a little bit later, but uh, about sort of expecting people not to have a past mm-hmm. when they enter public life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to put a pin in that and, yeah. and come back to it. But one of the real critiques of this, you know, when someone is deplatformed or fired or pressured to resign uh, before we learn the fact about what happened. Like, what is the political and social impact when someone is convicted in the court of a public opinion before we really know what happened? And it might be worth just raising uh, that seven of the 36 Democrats who demanded Al Franken's resignation have now said they regret it. Wow. Yeah. Um, Patrick Leahy of Vermont, um, Senator Patrick Leahy of Vermont said it was one of his biggest mistakes in the Senate. And Tammy Duckworth in Illinois says, we needed more facts. That due process didn't happen is not good for our democracy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a, lot to, there's a lot to get to here, but what is the social impact 
when we rush to judgment, but also what do you make of the contrast between the way Republicans respond to, you know, um, attempts to cancel them versus the way Democrats have responded uh, in your case, in Franken's case? Yeah. How do you see that? Well, I think part of it comes down to just sort of like a a place of our morality and the values that we stand on. Mm. And it's, you know, it, it's that we do want people to take accountability. Like if we're standing for women's rights and if we're saying that we we actively want the Me Too movement to be part of our platform and to, you know, to, to kind of fight for justice for people who have not typically had voices and to believe women who have usually been kind of cast aside, um, I think that that's a—it's very difficult to say, well, not when it's our person, right? Mm. Um, and so there's that— there's a desire not to be hip- hypocritical, especially, you know, in the first, we got to remember, I mean, Me Too is still only, a, it's fairly, it's fairly it's very fresh. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. happened during the campaign. Like the whole movement, well, I mean, it, it became nationwide and became, you know, popularized um, with Harvey Weinstein. And that happened while I was already a candidate running. Um, so we've seen a lot of social change very quickly uh, in terms of the way that we, we talk about things, but the, the, the thing that I struggle with is that, you know, when you when we ask for, when we say, all right, we need evidence, we need, you know, f- facts to confirm this, et cetera, et cetera, it's that very line of, of language mm-hmm. that has typically made it so that it's a he said, she said yeah. with, with, with yeah, women. With women. With, and, yeah. um, and because of that, you can't, you, you shouldn't believe the woman, you should believe the man because you can't prove that the woman is telling the truth. And that, you know, that's that's really like, that's a, a problematic, a very problematic application of justice or misjustice. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I think that that's where the whole Believe Women came, thing came from, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Al Franken was the first one for this to to come about. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know him personally at all, but he, there's often, I think, a, a mis- um, labeling of his situation or, or people tend to not remember, they, they see the, they, they have in their head that it was about that one picture of him, right? Yeah. There were 10 women. Mm. So that, you know, mm. made allegations. Now, what should have, what should have happened probably is that those, those 10 things should have been explored, yeah. whether it was through an ethics committee or through yeah. something else. Yeah. And then, you know. And he, some formal finding. Right. And, and he should have, you know, like, I guess the decision could have been made then. He could have stepped aside, said, I'm going to wait for— But we were not—we're in a very reactionary mode. Yeah, and so, like, in my case, too, it's—I think there's a—there is a real element to this public shaming aspect of it where you you don't feel like you're going to stop being attacked and the people that you care about are going to stop being attacked unless you step out of it. And, I again, I I can't speak to his decision. I can't speak to others. Um, But there's, you know— especially when you're a victim in it all when it's when it's your naked self that's exposed in this way it it wasn't for me it wasn't just about you know feeling like i had to like feeling like it was this overwhelming pressure to as much as it was that i like i i can't do this and um and i think that that sort of mental health aspect of it is is unique to this this intimate image abuse, and it's not something that is, um, you know, I, I've had a lot of people, even my own supporters, who have said, "Well, why didn't you stick it out? Why didn't you stick it out?" And it's like, okay, that's easy. It's easy for for you to say when you weren't there. And 
Uh, and I know that they they very often mean it in in the most supportive of terms, um, like we would have had your back, et cetera. But yeah. e- even in that moment, it didn't feel like didn't people feel had yeah. my back. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess that's something I just have to grapple with for – yeah. For uh, forever is like, should I have or shouldn't I have? And yeah, um, you know, here we are. How, if it's okay if I ask, how did it feel? Because I have this idea that it probably was a lot worse when you knew the threat existed than rising to deal with it and and sort of summoning that that yeah. fortitude, right, to face yeah. it. And can you talk yeah. about that? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I I didn't know that it was pictures, right? Mm-hmm. Like I and and so I thought that, you know, I mean, my my ex knew about the relationship. I thought maybe he was going to try and do an interview or whatever. And then, and and for me, like that would have been something I had to deal with, right? Like that's that would have been a, you know, like that would have that would have been a scandal, right? Or that yeah. would have been a, a yeah. thing that perhaps you know I would have I would have had to do an ethics investigation and dealt with it and yeah. so on and so forth, but. I did not know that the pictures existed nor that they were going to to be published across the world. Um, and, you know— So there, you found out as they were published, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. So I, I'll remember forever sitting in my, you know, sitting in my office. Like, we'd heard rumblings that, yeah. like, this stuff was going to come out, da-da-da-da. Um, but, but it was literally my comms director came in and showed me on my phone. Oh what, my and God. I was like, oh, my—or on her phone. And I was just like, just like this— literally like crushing, like sinking in your stomach. And you're like, what do, what happens now? And, you know, there wasn't precedent for that. There was yeah. no, there's there's not really anyone else who has, who has been through something like that um, at a, a real public figure level, especially when it's, when it's across the globe, like that was big yeah. reading yeah. for, you know, and, and it was the, it was the clickbait. It was the perfect clickbait, yeah. bisexual, you know, young woman, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was devastating. I was, you know, I was, I, and I wrote about it in the New York Times that like I was suicidal in the aftermath. And so, um, you know, dealing with, dealing with uh, those, those feelings like right at the time when you felt like you, you know, you, you'd let everyone down, that you were, um, you know, abandoned by the people that you wanted to have loud support from, right? Like that's, there's a difference between not feeling like I was ousted, but also not feeling like I was Right. Like, like people, I wanted, I wanted people to stand up for me and I understand why they didn't. I very much understand why they didn't. But I also like, especially in that moment, that doesn't make you feel better. Right. Right. So. Speaking of people who stood up for you, we'll save this for our Politicology Plus segment, but we're going to talk about your ironic uh, 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 relationship with Matt Gates (laughs) a little bit later. Speaking Um, of being (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, But there's one other question I wanted to ask you to get your thoughts on about um, this reactionary culture. First of all, I think it's pretty obvious that that that, that reaction— is like we've been doing this for a long time. Public shaming, we've been as human beings, we've been doing this for a long time, but technology has really accelerated it and exacerbated it, um, made it uh, 24-7, right? And made the threat of public shaming instantaneous. And so I wonder if you think, um, when you think about the Me Too movement, you think about Harvey Weinstein, do you think that, um, that, the that 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 might have kicked off what we now see as sort of the the trend of canceling people and maybe going too far 
before investigating the details of anything that could potentially smack of scandal. What, I, do, you, what do you think? I about certainly that? think that that was um, that that was sort of a, ca- a catalyzing event, yeah. right? And and I think that there was and did a lot of good. Yeah, and and I think there's a, that there's a race issues surrounding race also yeah. at the same time people were being yeah. called out for and have continued to be. And so you've seen you've seen basically at this moment you have two two communities, both women and um, and you know uh, people who are not white, right. who are um, who are kind of gaining power, and especially online, they're having voices and platforms that have have just not been there in the same way. Um, and so when you know you see behavior or you find out about ha- behavior, and you have um, someone who's willing to kind of go on record about it, testify to it. Um, or, you know, attest to it and, and call them out like that. That's something that there's a desire to say, yeah, this is bullshit. This is, this is messed up stuff that you've been doing. And, um, and so I think that there's like that righteous indignation part that is warranted or at least understandable, um, that has kind of turned into, you know, it, it, it can, it can be too much. And I've even, and I, you know, I know I have to be careful with even saying this, but, I've seen some of the complaints of, you know, that have, have you know, been me, me Too scandals or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, I'm, I'm a victim of assault. I'm, uh, you know, I've, this, I've been through, been through the ringer on all this stuff. And, um, and so, you know, so, some of it you're like, ah, that's, let's, this, this is not a. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and, you know, you can't, you certainly can't say can't that. Say that. Yeah. Right. Which, which actually I would argue is a problem in itself. I agree. The fact that we can't deal with the facts of these cases yep. on their face. Totally is, agree. Right. Is like, problematic. Yeah. like I think about, you know, and these are even, so some of the things that I've read, right, are, are, are public officials or are people who are in higher, higher positions of power or whatever. And they're described as flirting, right. Or like they're, they're, they sound that way and and that the no sex actually happened or that you know there was yeah. not actual coer- coercion right. and stuff and i'm like okay well that's a that's a that's not good they yeah. shouldn't have done that right yeah. they you, you yeah. know and especially whatever the circumstances were but also does that like, mean we take a bazooka to their career right. right and and you know you you see people who who are a lot of men who just are not going to mm-hmm. who aren't going to take the bazooka to the career. They right. just are, they're yeah. just like waited out. That's Yeah. That's, that's also a feature of, I think more so a feature on the right mm-hmm. um, of essentially the uh, perpetrators or alleged perpetrators not caring at all about mm-hmm. the blowback or mm-hmm. about any kind of accountability. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that that's very much on point with their kind of, yeah. their take on things. It's, yeah. and, and especially because Trump completely normalized it right. for so long yeah. that, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, he's shown that if you just keep plowing along yeah. and deny it and don't yeah. care, then, you know, people move on. Then people move on. They mirror that mm-hmm. lack of mm-hmm. uh, of care. Yep. And, and you know, but but people on the left have done it too. I mean, you've seen Northam, Ralph Northam, and, and, you know, again, I'm not saying that he, I'm not the one who, just, who should decide whether yeah. he become, you know, became governor or, or was allowed to remain governor because of something he did yeah. you know, decades ago. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I do know that, you know, and then the same thing with Andrew Cuomo, right? Yeah. Like there's... These yeah. are these are difficult conversations that you know online allows for or or provides a way for people to kind of be exposed to it and and have conversations about it but at the same time doesn't really like when you have this mob mentality yeah it's it's it is suppressed right yeah. like you you know you don't feel a lot of people who are in in public positions or are in positions where, you know, one one tweet will be used. Right. I mean, my tweets still, I'm shocked yeah. at like the coverage, the news coverage <laughs> that they get. And um, 
and you know, there's it, it, so you put one tweet that's like perceived as defending somebody who has has now been deemed bad. Right. Then um, now you're bad. Too. Yeah. And yeah. that and man, that that I I face radioactive. Yeah. 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 I bet and that's got to feel terrible. So part of this, I think. Um, is that accountability isn't the same for all offenses, Mm -hmm. right? And the consequences shouldn't be the same for all offenses. Mm -hmm. And there should be real difference between what accountability looks like for, um, for someone, you know, based on what they've done and labeling it to go back to this term, cancel culture, labeling it as cancel culture essentially just flattens all of that out and it removes any distinction in the severity, Mm uh, of, of the offense and, and, um, really removes what the victim has to say about it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so, um, Anyway, does that sound yeah? Right I, to you? I, I agree. We're yeah. not going to solve these problems, but but no. I think it's important. But I think it's important to to at least think as as carefully as we can about you know that what exactly is the problem right. with cancel culture and I and I and I, and and the lack of room for gradations mm-hmm. of offenses is definitely you know one feature. I think yeah, you're absolutely right. And there's and and that's the problem with all public shaming yeah. is that there's there's yeah. there's a target. There's somebody that you can put your whatever feelings you might have yeah. that are not necessarily related to this person at all. Yep. And you can put it all on them and you can be part of this anonymous crowd that is cheering something on. And we, I mean, we did it with the, with the, the, the women who were accused of being witches. We've yeah. done it with, oh, you man, know, lynch yeah. mobs. Like, I mean, it's, yeah. this is a historical thing that we've done. We've done it with stonings and yeah. I, I mean, every, right. everything. Yeah, right? like those that's are, right. It's, they become scapegoats, public scapegoats. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, now that everything is digital, people can do this with much lower effort and yep. sit behind a keyboard and, you know, mm-hmm. and. And I would argue that it, it keeps people it, like the powerful. And I think the, the right right wing people in, in power know this. It It is an advantage to them because it actually gives it, it keeps people from looking at the more important things and the things that are that are actually the you know, the factors that lead into these problematic behaviors um, and instead, you know, just allow, yeah, want people to, to keep right. feeding off of each other. That's right. So the other major problem that I see with with this particular phenomenon is that while we, we have not developed a mechanism for redemption mm-hmm. and it's and and I, and I would argue like there doesn't seem to be any interest or will in figuring out what redemption looks like for someone who has been quote unquote canceled. Yep. So um, and and I think one key point is to the concept of redemption is owning up to shortcomings and apologizing. So there has to be some kind of acknowledgement of wrongdoing right by by the person. And in your last speech on the House floor, you did apologize. Um, and I want to roll that clip if we can. Yeah. I, like so many of my colleagues, ran for office because I believed that our political system was broken, controlled by the powerful and the wealthy, ignoring and failing the regular people that it's supposed to serve. I came here to give a voice to the unheard in the halls of power. I wanted to show young people, queer people, working people, imperfect people, that they belong here because this is the people's house. I fell short of that and I'm sorry. To every young person who saw themselves and their dreams reflected in me, I'm sorry. To those who felt like I gave them hope in one of the darkest times in our nation's history, I'm sorry. To my family, my friends, my staff, my colleagues, my mentors, 
To everyone who has supported and believed in me, I'm sorry. To the thousands of people who spent hours knocking doors in the hot summer sun, who made countless phone calls, who sacrificed more than I could ever know to give everything they could in every possible way so that I could be here, I am so, so sorry. And to every little girl who looked up to me, I hope that one day you can forgive me. Mm. That's so good. <laughs> so sorry. It's really well said. Um, so your situation is unique um, because you've acknowledged that you had this consensual relationship with a campaign staffer, but there was also this other layer of the non-consensual sharing of intimate images. And um, h- how important was it for you to apologize for letting your supporters down to you personally, to your supporters for the institution mm-hmm. of Congress? How did you see that? And what was the, what was the decision to do that? Like, yeah. If, so for me, it was incredibly important. Um, that was, that was what started it. Um, so I, I actually, I wrote that whole speech like myself. I, that was part of my, I felt like I needed to go through that kind of exercise to even organize my thoughts and, and figure out how I wanted to, because I didn't have to go give a speech, right? Like there's no, there's no need to go yeah. speak on the floor one last time. Um, and it, frankly, it really sucked to try and get out of bed and go and face everybody yeah. and, you know, go out and do that. You sounded very emotional uh, in that speech. Yeah. Um, but it was, but for me, I felt like I needed, I needed to say that. I needed to say those things. And, and each of those groups I left in there for, you know, I put in there for a specific reason. But when my, when my consultants and advisors were reading the speech, um, you know, because I wanted them to have a yeah. once over or whatever, they said that I said sorry too many times. They wanted me to cut it back. And I said no. And, um, and I don't, I'm not, I don't regret having said I'm sorry that many times. Uh, but I do think it hit a point where I had apologized so much in the speech. And, you know, I was, I think I was apologizing for a lot of different things at that point, right? It wasn't just, it was, it was, you know, the poor judgment that I'd had prior to being elected. It was, you know, I guess it was, it was sort of taking the risk of even, at least this is the way I felt at the time, but of even running when I knew that I had baggage or whatever. Um, It, it was, it was, you know, the, apologizing even for the decision to resign. It was all of it. Um, And so I wanted to make sure that that was like the, the first thing that people heard. Um, But, you know, I apologized. I apologized then. I I spent like a year apologizing. And I think that there's, you know, you, you do hit a point at some point where it's like, I mean, where do what more? Yeah. What more accountability? What more can you do? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And 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 I don't yeah. know. I mean, I mean, I've been in therapy for now. You know, yeah. the, for me too. <laughs> Everybody should be in therapy yeah. right now. Um, Weekly for years, yeah, yeah, folks. Exactly. Yes. But um, but you know, I think there's and like I I felt like I had to um I needed to do things in my life to kind of that that were part of part of the redemption story and it's like. I took all of my campaign resources and turned it into this political action committee when I had the option of leaving it there in case I ever decided to run for office again. Um, and, you know, I've, I feel like I've channeled my my advocacy abilities um, and my connections into being able to pass legislation and yeah. and work on passing legislation that's going to be impactful to women and girls yeah. and um, anyone else could be a victim of these things in the future. So, uh, so that's part of my, like— desire or, or efforts to seek redemption. And, um, but I don't, there's not a, 
there isn't a, a court that nobody decides. gives you a gold star and yeah. says you passed, <laughs> no. right? Yeah, nobody walks up and just you know, yeah, yeah, says okay, you're you're welcome back, right? right. Like, yeah. Um, and I think I probably I feel more uh, m- more than most. I think I feel like I've I've probably you know I I, I think I'm I'm back in in a circle yeah. to a certain extent, yeah. right? Yeah. But um, you know. I'm I'm never going to be. I mean, I will always be a a, a polarizing figure, on um, you know on on the right, but also I think within some factions of the left who say that you know I did something that was irredeemable, yeah. um, or that I shouldn't be held up as like some kind of you know I certainly shouldn't be held up as some kind of a hero of the left or whatever or role model and and you know like I think that's in, well. First of all, what corners of the left do you do those voices? come from do you think far left okay. i mean yeah i think that's that's uh people who who say that there's not really you know once once you know if you did this thing that they have they have determined to be an abuse of power yeah um that there's no there's no way back from that and you know you don't you don't belong in the public sphere anymore and you know they're entitled to that opinion Interesting. So. And the and the and the nuance of having both been a perpetrator and a victim at the same mm-hmm. time is completely lost. And I think and they might even acknowledge it, but they are they're like, well, that's a separate issue. And um and I think that that still even keeps people from jumping in on some of the conversations around the victim aspect yeah. of it and the, you know, and and the case, the the, you know, all of those pieces. I think yeah. that sometimes, you know, journalists or or pub, you know, public figures, people who are still in office, yeah. they might still not say something that they would say yeah. because there's still that kind of like, oh, well, she still did this, you know? Do you think there's any awareness uh, on on their part that if they, if they, if they keep that up, they're going to run out of people who with, you know, with good intentions who want to help the public, who want to actually serve? Because it, to your point earlier, you know, you're expected, at least by some people, to leave you to not have a past right yeah. to not bring your whole self to the job you're there to do to essentially you know divorce yourself from your own humanity mm-hmm. um uh that's not to say we shouldn't hold people in power to a higher standard than we hold other public figures but um but it's but it seems that that trend is untenable if we actually want government to work if we don't want to just keep churning through people like they're disposable yeah i and i think that I think that the younger generation is in part an answer to that because we mm. did grow up online. That means that everything that's ever everything. been there is everything <laughs> is you're going to have to deal with yep. at some point. Um, and I think that that has that is going to force a reckoning, right? That you yeah. know people will have to face in some way. Um, and I think that 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 ex- certainly extends to politics. If yeah. we, you know. I think that everyone has something. It's just a matter yep. of if they've if they've been yeah. caught or called out or whatever. And um, you know that something could be seen as super minor to many people. It could be seen as something big to other yeah. people. And and yeah. I think that that's a um, you know the part of the fact that we know that the part of the fact that we're all afraid of that for ourselves at least in some way yeah. is I think what makes the capitalizing on the, the term cancel culture and on this idea that the left is coming after you is so powerful for yeah. for Republicans and for the right right now. I mean, that, that's going to be, I guarantee you, that's going to be their playbook for 2022. Oh, like, that's the whole thing. Right? Absolutely. That's, that's it. Yeah. So, um, Can you talk a little bit about shame versus guilt and redemption? Um, 
because you mentioned this self-talk in a, a New York Times article, I think. Sure. Um, it's a very uh, oh, Brene Brown. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I mentioned that distinction like a year ago on, on the Lincoln Project podcast. Oh, so I'd love for yeah. you to, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so so guilt is, and I might even be messing this up now, but, you know, for for me at least, guilt is like a, you know, you feel guilty about having done something, right? <laughs> um, you feel guilty for a, a mistake that you made or for something that you, an action that you took or something that you did. But shame is feeling like you're a bad person and feeling like that whatever you did is is a character-defining element of who you are. Um, and Evidence that you're a bad evi- person. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, you know I, it, instead of like, I did this thing and that's, you know, that was a mistake and that's not a reflection of who I am and it's something that I'm growing and I'm learning and I'm not going to do again, blah, blah, blah. Um, instead of that, in it with an, with shame, it's oh my god, I did this thing because I'm such a terrible person, because and I'm nobody's person. ever going to love me, and I don't deserve to be here, and it mm. turns into this like spiraling loop um, that I think a lot of people, you know, can relate to. Yeah, yeah, which is which which I think helps to add some color to public shaming mm-hmm. as a term mm-hmm. because that word shame is very different from from guilt and what it does to people. Right, right. Okay, I want to drill into how we think about and use guilt when we think about public figures who make mistakes. So how does this mindset, uh, that people who did something wrong are bad people, which is shame, uh, really inhibit the ability for redemption? Well, if you use, if you use a, a situation or an action as the only example of what makes a person a person, yeah. then you're going to be left with, well, that's all they are, right? Yeah. Like that's, they, they are, they've done a bad thing and clearly they are bad. Yeah. And I think what we, what's interesting is there's, we, we do this. So I would say that we have a, a, a bit of a, an opposite kind of thought. If we put this into the criminal justice mindset, mm, right? Yeah. Like if you, if you put people in the, if you put people on the right into thinking like, all right, if this were criminal justice, how would we look at it? Ooh. They are not redemption people, right? No. Like they are, they are very much like you, you screwed up, you Walk served 30 away. years. Yep. Put them yep. away. Um, put them to death in some yep, states. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And but if you talk about if if you talk about it with people on the you know on the left, then they talk about how people should the the punishment should fit the crime, and that there's people are redeemable, and that we need to give them other chances, and so on and so forth. And so I think that there's actually like oh, a, that's so interesting. Yeah, like it's been a reversal in a lot of ways. Well, it's hypocritical. Yeah, yeah. and. Um, and so I, I I like to think about it that way is is yeah. it's part of recovery and and yeah. growth and some people are going to be you know pretty irredeemable right yeah. especially if they choose to be especially yeah. if they say well screw well especially that, that's if mine. there's no contrition mm-hmm. and if there's mm-hmm. no apology there's no you know acceptance of the wrongdoing yep exactly yeah. and and by the way going back to the apology my apology speech yeah I, I don't really know of an example of very many politicians that have yeah. just truly so, yeah. apologized. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to piggyback on that because when you were talking about how your strategists looked over this, your, your consultants, your strategists looked over your thing and said that you're apologizing too much. I, I know why they yeah. said that because yeah. having been in their shoes yep. advising candidates, I, I, I'm, the playbook is to never apologize. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. just what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's funny because I recently asked a friend of mine who is a long, decades-long investigative journalist 
for paper of record. And I said, um, in a newsroom, when there is a scandal and the person responsible apologizes, to what extent is there an appetite to cover the apology? And you know what he said? None. No. He said, There's, they will only cover the apology to the extent that it allows them to resurface the original scandal. <laughs> That's, that is the norm in... Uh, in news media, yeah. right? The, and and that's, that is, I think, maybe less a function of journalistic ethics and more a function of the demand, Consumers, the appetite yep. for, for clickbait, yep. for the stuff that just, you know, lights us up, that makes us keyboard warriors. Totally. But, but, that, but it is a reflection of the market. Right. Um, and so, and even if they do cover an apology adequately, right, it's still not going to get the same kind of play mm -hmm. in the media mm -hmm. as the original scandal. Yep. And that strikes me as a really deep, deep structural problem. I totally agree. And I, and I, knowing that sort of just intuitively yeah. or just a, yeah. having experience, experienced it, <laughs> yeah. um, I, that's part of why I felt like I needed everything with my resignation or with my speech to yeah. start with yeah. the apology and to say like, this is, you, you know, you, if you covered that and didn't, yeah. say that she said that she's sorry, yeah. like you're doing malpractice yeah. because like yeah. that's half the fucking yeah. speech. Yeah. So, um, but, but, you know, back to that, I don't, I just don't think that there's, there's typically, you know, yeah, people are not advised to say you're sorry. No, and, they're not. Yeah. And, and that's why, by the way, that example is why strategists tell politicians who get in trouble, who do bad things, don't apologize. Yep. Just keep going. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's enough examples to back that up yeah. of people who have successfully yeah. not apologized and then stayed. Right. Um, and I, I think that that might be something that's different with women and men and, and, you know, certainly the way that we're raised, yeah. you know, women do apologize all the time and, and men often don't. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about revenge porn. And I'm putting that in air quotes too, because, sure. uh, well, we'll get to why. So, um, there was a salon.com uh, piece recently, and I'm just going to quote from it because I think this is useful information. According to a 2016 study by the Data and Society Research Institute, one in 25 Americans have been victims of revenge porn and that people of color, women under 30, and LGBTQ folks are all at greater risk. And then there was a 2018 study conducted in the UK that found more than half of teenagers have friends who have shared intimate images with someone they know. First of all, the term revenge porn, is it problematic? And if so, why? Yeah, I, so a lot of people say, We know what it is instantaneously, right? right? We know what it is. But. Which is why I use the term even when I probably shouldn't. Um, because the, the term sh the term is problematic because when you say revenge— it makes it sound like there's some kind of justice in it, right? Or that the the person who is the the subject of it deserves to have revenge taken upon them, right? Right. Um, and when you say porn, it automatically goes to you know this thing that adults are allowed to consume and enjoy, and yeah. like is is sexual in nature. Um, but the the issue is that we want to we want to rename it, and we want to, to have people rethink the the way that they're approaching it and the, the way that society thinks about it. Um, and that's why it's referred to as non-consensual pornography or intimate image abuse or, um, you know, there's a, a cyber exploitation. Like, there are these different terms. The reason that often revenge porn still sticks is because it it is, you know, if I say intimate image abuse, 
it, people might get there, but yeah. they're like, what? what? What are you talking about? Yeah, or that's right. Cyber exploitation. Yeah. What, do, you know, what do you mean? So um, it would be nice to kind of get, and I think we could with a public awareness campaign, we could get to this space where, you know, that that is normalized. Yeah. In the meantime, if, you know, if people just start kind of being more aware of it in general, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and especially aware, like there's, there's still, and I think this has changed even since my, since my resignation, but there was an, there's a very immediate reaction among a lot of people of how, how did you let yourself get those pictures taken of you? And, and in fact, it's Nan your fault. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> even after my resignation said, she's like, uh, it's, you know, this should be a lesson to young women to not, you know, to be really careful about what you take oh, on your phone. Wow. And, and, she, to be clear, was a big supporter of mine. She was. Um, yeah. She called me twice before I resigned and said, "You don't have to do this. We're got, we've got your back, whatever." Um, but when once I did actually resign, like that was that was her remark. Yeah. And I, you know, I contacted her office and and was like, "This is we got to change the way she's talking about this because yeah. that is that is yeah. victim blaming." Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and you know, I have I have nothing but love and respect for her now, yeah. but it was, it's still like, it shows you kind of a mentality that a lot of, it does, especially, you know, the older generation who didn't grow up on phones, yeah. um, they, they think about it. And it's the same way that we thought about, you know, it, and some people still do, you know, if, if you didn't want to get raped, why were you wearing that outfit? Uh, or if, yeah. if you didn't want, if you yeah. didn't want to get raped, then why did you, you know, yeah. get so, let yourself get so drunk at that party? Yeah. If you so. didn't want to have pictures of you mm -hmm. taken, why'd you get naked? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, that's the logic, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, so in 46 states, including Hawaii and D.C., there are laws prohibiting this, revenge porn. Um, but there is a public interest loophole. Um, why is it there? Should it be there? And maybe you can unpack a little bit of the lawsuit, the, find, the judge's finding yep. in your lawsuit. And yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so the, the public interest exemption is there because there's this, you know, this, this kind of element of, oh, well, we don't want to infringe on free speech. My argument and many other people in this space say that somebody else's naked picture is not in the public interest, period. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if that's a public figure. It doesn't matter if that's a, you know, a, a, a person, just a random person on the street. Yeah. If it's their naked picture taken without their consent, it should not be deemed in the public interest. And that's the case that we're trying, you know, the information, the yeah. facts obtained from it, you know, the, you know, the, for example, in my, in the articles that were used about me, there were non-naked pictures that could have proven the same thing that they yeah. were, you know, trying yeah. to show as my, you know, ethical violation or whatever. And, um, but it was, it was, it was, gratuitous to use the naked pictures. Yeah. And that was simply because it was, it was, you know, it had right. that clickbait element to it. Right. Um, I don't think that that needs to be written in there. I think that, you know, there are groups, free speech groups that would argue that it does. And I think that that's a fundamental, that's just a, that is a misinterpretation of what we're talking about yeah. here. And that we simply need to just say that, Images that are stolen yeah. of somebody's naked body, that is their privacy. That yeah. is their sexual privacy. Yeah. And it, there, there's not a public interest exception in that. And yeah. if the, you know, again, if somebody obtains images as proof, it should be on any party that gets those images to report it to the police. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if they want to use it, again, if they want to use the facts from it because they feel like they have the, the, the moral obligation to report on whatever those images showed, then fine, that's a different discussion. Yeah. But um, it's it's not, and I don't think should ever be 
part of the the way that we treat any kind of public official because also yeah. how do you determine who a public official is right. my you know in some yeah. states there's and in some communities it's very much it's very much acceptable that a public official is a teacher yeah. right so you know one of the people that i had gotten to know from my own experience she was a she was a school principal and it was totally consensual images that were obtained you know that she had done with her her ex and you know it was like but she was fired because of it because it was not a wow. you know behavior that was supposedly an example for you know students or whatever so so people don't even know that they're entering this realm yeah. of public official they never that, consented to that no and yeah. and so to to think that that's okay to publish yeah. or you know what if it's somebody who's running for school board yeah. who's you know just trying to to yeah. do something with their you know whatever yeah. or or if it's a if it's somebody running for the, a, a position at their college yeah. or you know if it's a captain of the cheer team like what determines who a public interest what public right. interest is and who a public official is and if it's just left up to a single judge that's a problem yeah. in my opinion and so yeah. i do think that the laws need to be reformed in that manner and and case law should be part of that that shows that a public interest is not does yeah. not need to show people's naked photos. Yeah. Is there any, I, I don't know if, if we'll actually get to the bottom of this, but there's, is there any legal tension between um, an expected right to privacy, body autonomy, and the First Amendment yes, here? Yes, there's, there's a big tension. Okay. And, uh, and, you know, some legal scholars say basically the First Amendment is swallowing the Fourth Amendment. Mm. And um, it's, I think that's something that's going to have to play out, and not just in in the case of you know cyber exploitation, yeah. but in all kinds of privacy related yeah. matters, uh, especially with technology and with the internet. And you know we're we're not even touching, and no one's really yeah. touching, especially from a, a legislative standpoint, the privacy issues that have to do with your your phone right. and the apps right. that are tracking and knowing everything about you. Yeah, we're um, talking about a very acute manifestation of this tension. Right. And yeah, but it's the, it's there for yeah. you know in Lots many of other, things. yeah and it, and at some point it's going to have to come to a head and um what someone I know always he says that the porn and sexualized content that's always the canary in the coal mine. Mm. So you know we know that if if that's happening and that's the the privacy invasion then the rest of it is just right there just bubbling a below of the time. surface. Mm-hmm. And and yeah we've seen we've seen that. I mean the stuff that that yeah. they're collecting is just absolutely oh, terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it's everything actually. Um, and this public interest loophole is like the hinge on which this lawsuit turned, right? Yeah, that was part of it. Um, the other part was that basically she said that she did not think that the lawsuit would prevail because of, you know, this this public interest piece. Okay. Um, and, yeah, and so she kind of, it, it was basically like if we're looking at anti-slap laws, yeah. then, you know, it, this is this is a free speech issue. And so she said since I was legitimately a public figure, which I didn't argue with, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, we— that we basically are are relinquishing all of our rights to privacy, and I I fundamentally do not agree yeah. with that assessment. I yeah. think that that you know, basically, in the desire to get laws passed of any kind to protect people if, against this kind of you know cyber exploitation, uh, there was you know there was a desire to sort of just like okay, we got to appease to a certain point, yeah. and um and I think that that's you know that was not a sacrifice, I guess, that should have been made, but I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad that there's something in there. But yeah. um, I think that the, the, it's too broad, it's too undefined, it's, um, and it's not something that should be included. So I want to 
talk about one more thing when it comes to revenge porn because it seems like this if 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 nothing changes if the if the status quo persists um as more and more millennials i'm thinking about millennials in particular mm-hmm. enter public life um what are the consequences for them uh how should they be thinking about public service and how, yeah and how do you think about that yeah i i really worry about it because i don't think that there's you know i don't in good conscience think it's it's the advice that I should be telling people is just pre-release your nudes because they're going to get out anyway. You know what I mean? Like that's not the, that's not the encouragement that people need to hear when they're talking about sacrificing everything and running for office in the first place. Um, But I do think that there's a, you know, I have to, I, I, whenever I'm talking to somebody who wants to run um, and that's fairly frequent and I'm, I'm honored that that's, that I'm still somebody that people reach out to. Yeah. um, I, I do say, like, you have to look at my case and know that this ca- can that happen. Can to happen. You. Yeah. And so, are you willing? Are you willing to to risk it? Yeah. And and you know, my what I go back to is that even knowing how it all ended. Yeah. How my my you know congressional career ended, like I'm glad I did it, mm-hmm. and I feel like I still was able to affect positive change and do something for the community. Yeah. And um and that it was. You know, I played an important check on on you know the the most problematic presidency we've seen yeah. in our entire you know pre- yeah. <laughs> certainly yeah. In the history whatever. of America yeah, yeah. Um, and that you know it I think that there was yeah that that I played an important part in a very important time then um, and I'm disappointed in how it happened but like I I do feel like even if I knew that this was how it would end. I would have, I still would have yeah. run and I still want people to run. And I yeah. still, I think that maybe if, you know, if nothing else, if the law doesn't change, then at least maybe people will see something like what happened to me and say, okay, well, I don't need to resign for that. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, yeah. we're saying that this is not something that's going to be career busting or, yeah. um, or that we're going to stand and defend somebody who that this happens to. And, uh, and so, you know, I think it's just, it's as a, as a, Someone who decides to run for office in the first place, you just have to wrap your head around what it really means. And I don't think that there's any way to truly understand it until you've done it. Yeah. Um, And that's probably for the best because otherwise you'd never really have it. You'd never do it. Yeah, you might never. (laughs) You have to have this level of idealism that is just not possible to— have after you've done it. <laughs> yeah. But. So so there's this other, and this is going to sound a little bit cynical, I guess, but there's this other aspect to the the reality that this could really happen to anyone, at least any millennial, right? Mm-hmm. Because basically mm-hmm. almost everybody has yep. these photos, right? There's, there's an aspect to this. Like if you look at this um, with a much broader lens, that opens up all of these people to manipulation and blackmail yes. and right. And when you think about, this might sound a little bit odd, but if you think about um, the way foreign government officials might be compromised by well, what the Russians call this compromat, right? They mm-hmm. use it as a tool to get people to change their behavior, mm-hmm. right? To, to, um, to covertly manipulate yeah. uh, powerful people behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, na- the, the, the intelligence community, national security community considers those risks, Right, they, mm-hmm. they, they. That increases a person's risk profile. Well, when you think about um, 
so many, especially young people, but so many people in Congress basically being vulnerable to that kind of manipulation, it really, um, it really paints a bleak picture for their ability to serve their constituents, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, and I guess I could be, uh, this is where I could still be um, overly optimistic. optimistic. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but I think, let's just say, for example, I had, I had been threatened with those pictures. If, yeah. I, if I had been, you didn't have that happen to no, you. No, right. because there was no threat. There was, right. Yeah. And and I should have been a target for it. Honestly, like if the, you know, yeah. as I was on armed services yeah. and I was on oversight, and you know, I had I had powerful positions. Yeah. Um. I I think that there's, to me at least, there's a very clear moral line of like I would go and report sure. that to you know yeah. in, to to whoever I needed to in within intelligence. Um. And that wouldn't even be like a second's hesitation yeah. for me. Yeah. But maybe not that's, everybody's yeah, gonna have right. your moral gumption. So if that's the case, if if you know, if that almost leads towards the argument that instead of, you know, worrying about this as as a law as much for, you know, for public figures at least, then we do just need to say, yeah. you know, you're you're taking this risk. Are you okay with it? Yeah. And hopefully, I guess, maybe then the next generation can just normalize yeah. it and yeah. you know you do take away people's power by saying well f you if yeah. this is if this is what you're gonna do but i don't that's think right. i don't think that that's a, a tenable answer for most people um i think that it needs to be you know we the first thing that we need to do is to pursue, protect victims yeah and yeah. pursue pursue federal legislation on this even if yeah. there is that public figure exemption that wouldn't necessarily help me um yeah i think that it needs to be in place for you know regular yeah. Regular victims that, yeah. whose lives who who commit suicide and whose lives are destroyed on the regular by yeah. this kind of stuff. Yeah, this is a this is a great segue because in the last speech you gave, you talked about the double standard for women mm -hmm. in politics, and that was the same day you voted to impeach a president mm -hmm. who has been accused of sexual harassment and assault by dozens of women. Mm -hmm. So um, I'd love for you to talk about the changes in federal legislation that you think that we need, how, how you're advocating for those and how, um, you know, about the work that you're doing now to support women entering politics. Sure. Thank you for that. Um, so the, f the first thing that I did when I decided to, you know, resign yeah. as I, I had to like emerge from my hidey hole, but, yeah. um, but you know, you have to decide what you're going to do with your money as yeah. uh, you know, within, with your yeah. campaign, you got campaign funds. Yep. yep. And so I decided I knew right away. And again, people advise me, they're like, just leave it, you know, just decide that you're going to leave it and yeah. you might run for, who knows how soon you might run for office again or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but I said, no, I don't think that's the right thing. I want to turn it into a pack, a political action committee. And I knew pretty much right away that I wanted it to support women, but specifically to support women who are coming from, you know, less likely backgrounds, yeah. right? People who are younger, women of color, people who, you know, women, LGBTQ women, um, ones who are running in, in, in for the first time, people who are uh, running in harder districts, like basically the ones that kind of really need that support early yeah. on. And there are a lot of organizations that do support women candidates, and and, and that's good. But often they they don't do it until and just because it's you're strapped for resources they don't do it until a candidate is, is established enough and often that right. means that the candidate who gets the institutional support is a white wealthy woman yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and especially in tar hard races where you know resources are just like a real problem yeah um, so I think yeah that was that was part of the intention behind it and. 
Um, and so we set it up in uh, last year in the on cycle in 2020, we endorsed and supported dozens of candidates, um, House candidates a lot, but we also did uh, state and local and I'm um, really proud of some of the work that we did. But I also laid out this list of priorities of if we want to pursue, basically it's an equality agenda for women. Um, and it's not just like women's legislation, right? It's yeah. it's meant to be, okay, if you want to, if you want to get true equality, we need to be able to organize workers. If you want to get true equality, we need to be able to um, have a equal pay. We need to raise the minimum wage. We need, you know, there are all these different things that we need to do. But the top priority, especially given the timing of us having the majority in the House, the majority in the Senate, um, and Biden being the president, mm-hmm. the first thing that we need to do, in my opinion, and that we have the opportunity to do, is uh, pass the Violence Against Women Act, mm-hmm. and the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act. Because Biden, this was his thing. This yeah. was part of how he campaigned and tried to win over women, um, and successfully, I think, did win over women. Uh, and it's a it's a piece of legislation that should not be partisan, right? That should yeah. be, we should be able to count on support from at least 10 Republican senators. Yep. And I know that that's, you know, that's, that's hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but <laughs> what we're doing now is, so in, in the house, we were able, we pushed, this is, this is a big, um, effort on behalf of her time. We, we pushed to include the shield act, which is the federal legislation that would make cyber exploitation, a federal crime. Mm. Um, we pushed to include that as an amendment into VAWA, okay. the Violence Against Women Act. Okay. And we were successful in doing that, and it was a big deal. It was yeah. it was a really big deal that we were able to get that in. Yeah. Um, and so now we want to push the Senate to vote on it and to in, and to make sure that that's included. And so we're we're ramping up an advocacy campaign that is you know going to be mobilizing people specifically in those you know ten to fifteen states of senators that are you know possibly movable on this right, right. but where we're going to organize domestic violence organizations we're going to organize you know our own supporters and uh, work within the communities uh, and do digital campaigns to basically really put pressure on those senators and um and you know I'm hopeful I I, re- I really am hopeful that by at first I said summer but I know that with you know all the other stuff that's happening. I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to be realistic. But by the end of the we year— we got to save democracy too, Katie, by I know, the way. I know. And I'm like, <laughs> HR1 was actually one of the first priorities that like we listed on yeah. her time's priority. So I'm, yeah. you know, I'm still with that. But um, but anyway, the Violence Against Women Act is is the the big piece that we're focusing on and uh, including S.H.I.E.L.D. in it. And um, and at the same time, you know, we supported uh, Melanie Sansbury in her special election. We were one of the early supporters for her. And uh, that was a big success. Really excited that— God, I was worried. <laughs> I, was, I was I was worried for a minute that if we, you know, if we lost, if Democrats lost that seat in New Mexico, yeah. um, that would have been a terrible, terrible sign. So I'm glad yeah. that she won it by a lot. But yeah, so that's what that's what we're doing at her time. And um, anyone who wants to check it out should go to her-time.com. Terrific. Yeah. Um, before we go, and we're going to go talk about Matt Gates in a minute for our for our Politicology Plus uh, segment. I want you to share a little bit about how this whole process, your your journey from uh, private citizen to public life to post public life to advocate, how has it changed you, and how you know how do you think about um, elections, politicking, politics more broadly, um, and then what advice would you have for? in particular millennials who are thinking about um, trying to make change in public life yep. in some way. So 
So what I would say is I started out in the nonprofit sector. I was working on these kind of intractable issues like homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I went into politics, I didn't have the expectation of trying to of changing something overnight, right? Like you go you go into homeless services and you don't expect to end homelessness overnight, but you expect to make something of a dent. Yeah. And I think that you know, I think that that's happening. We're we're watching that change in real time simply if you want to measure it by nothing else but by the the fact that we have so many people engaged and we've had the the highest amount of voter turnout among young people that we've ever had and you know in, since we've since we've been tracking these things in uh, among aver- American voters over half of young people actually showed up and voted in the last presidential and it's never been that high mm. um and that means that there's still a lot of young people who need to vote and and yep. that were left out but or not left out but that didn't were not included in that vote total but it shows you it shows you a sign of how i think this generation this next generation is capable of changing politics um so i think you know, where I kind of came from was it was hopeful and it was optimistic enough, but also realistic. And I th- I think that, you know, I would say I wasn't even, you know, like not, you know, in, in looking back over the last two years, like yeah. I, j- I, it just is what it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, there's a, there's not a, I've had enough personal stuff happen in my life, yeah. too. Um, my brother passed away sh- very shortly after my <sighs> resignation, and my mom had brain surgery. And, you know, I mean, I've, there's just been, like, one thing oh after God, another with okay. all of this. And so I guess all of it has served to show that you really don't have any ability to know what's right around the corner, what yeah. your life is going to—where your life is going to take you in the next few years. So trying to plan for it is— is a joke and you should live each moment for where, you know, what, what is going to fulfill you the most and uh, where you think you can have an an impact. And, um, and that's what I'm trying to do now. And that's what I would urge anyone who wants to, who, who wants to get involved at whatever level. Um, I think, you know, you, if you decide to run and I, I so encourage it, um, you just have to go into it with clear eyes. And I hope part of what I can do over the next few years is, uh, is is to shed a light on the process and to um, you know to really make it more accessible for people who who don't have the that you know the, they don't have the first idea of what, where to start and even yeah. if they do know because they've done the research and they've you know gotten involved with organizations like Run for Something or you know these other ones even if they do know the barriers are still so high whether it's financial or um, you know the power of the incumbency or you know, any of these other things yeah. that that there's so much that we have to break down. And I, I truly believe that it is through the engagement and involvement of young people that we're able to do that. And so that's that's kind of my sort of mission change for the next, you know, few years. And develop good self-care habits before you start. Really, really important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Before we go, where can everybody find you on the internet? Yep. Um, so my Twitter, which... I've taken a break from this week, but yep. I will be back. Is um, at Katie Hill, the number four C A, K A T I E H I L L four C A, and um, that's where I'm the most active and snarky. Um, <laughs> uh, her time is at her time twenty twenty or um, her dash time dot com, and uh, we have the Naked Politics podcast, which has also been a little bit on hiatus because of the lawsuits and everything, but we're we're kicking back into gear, and that is um, nakedpoliticspodcast.com. Terrific. Yeah. That's exciting. Thank you. 
And I'm at Ron Steslo on Twitter. Thank you to everyone at home or on the go for listening. If you're not already in our Politicology Plus community, you can unlock today's bonus segment and much more at politicology.com slash plus. If you have any questions for us, you can reach us as always at podcast at politicology.com. You can also help us by rating and reviewing the show wherever you get your podcasts and by sharing this episode. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at politicologypod. I'll see you in the next episode.